This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome back to another episode of the Half Measures Podcast. It's episode 101 and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Paul Kanawa. How you doing, Val? Kia ora, Dan. I love the way you did that 101. I was curious, are you going to say 101, 100? You've set a tone. You've gone with the 101. I love that. I didn't even think about it, Paul. We just hit the record button and bam, it just came out. That's so just the way it works. It's just, look, it's a full half measure. You know how we do things around here. I love I love 101s, actually. You know, when you think about giving a 101, I feel I feel like I'm always giving them at work when someone new joins the project team. I'll give them a quick 101. But I feel like, sorry, that's my other job. This is obviously my full-time job. But um, I feel like I'd be better qualified to give like a, a Star Trek 101 or a or a, a Bristol City 1987 to 1990 101. What would your 101 be, Dan? Look, it would probably I could probably easily give you one on the spot of Game of Thrones, even though I've got some some frustrations at the end. Um, there's a lot of the the great houses I'll be able to talk to. Um, I'll be able to talk about you know some of the lineage, the history, the the key story arcs. So I think I could do that off the cuff. And I've always thought if I had to do a 20 minute spiel. The fill, fill a slot. Yep. Game of Thrones, here I come. That's your 101. I, I, could, I could probably do something with Yellowstone as well from a, a, a TV point of view. Um, but maybe Cobra Kai. But I think Game of Thrones would definitely be my, my strongest suit. Interesting. 101, another great album from Depeche Mode. Room 101. Did you ever watch that TV show, Room 101? Never watched it, Paul. I am intrigued, though. What would you say is the 101 for this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> the 101 for this podcast way um that would take some time for me to answer i i you've caught me off guard there i really think that would be i feel like it would go for at least an hour at least there's a lot at least there's a lot to digest crikey well paul shall we go back to what we're actually good at talking about what we've watched on tv what have you been watching this week all right so my James Bond rewatch, uh, 1987's The Living Daylights. Dan, I have found a Bond that is right up there with a potential title shot for number one. This was amazing. Uh, James Bond is sent to investigate a KGB um, policy to kill all enemy spies and covers an arms deal that potentially has major global ramifications. I haven't had such a, a positive reaction and so much enjoyment to a Bond movie since I would say my current, what I always say is my current number one uh, from Russia with Love, which was the second Connery film. And this is just so good. And this serious order rewatch continues to fascinate me that I'm doing because I'm not watching a James Bond movie in isolation uh, without any recent benchmarks of, uh, you know, in my mind. I know exactly how this movie feels and rates relative to the others. So I feel really informed. It's like I've done a Bond 101. And this movie is right up there. I was blown away by how good this was and how much I'd forgotten how good it was. It's good to hear. Like, I, I feel like we've been on a bit of a a James Bond journey over the last several episodes and it's it's good to hear you coming in hot. 
yeah, I, it's just a top-notch story, uh, and it, which is, I feel like it's not something I've said about many of the recent Bonds, perhaps since on Her Majesty's Secret Service. It's a real change from, and I'm not this thing, Roger Moore, I'm, when I'm just talking about what I love about it, it's just there's a sheer grittiness to Timothy Dalton. He is, in many respects, very Daniel Craig in his approach. And, and Timothy Dalton was criticised at time around this for being too serious not enough humor of course the, the the world had come off the back of uh you know 12 years of roger moore but when you watch this movie today in light of a daniel craig bond movie timothy dalton is is right on the money and and for my money the way he plays bond elevates the franchise up to a more serious movie and i was just blown away eh? Well, so so you would rate this pretty highly in, in all of the bonds you've watched so far. Yeah, I'm putting at the moment. I put this probably second place to from Rushwood Love. I um wow. I I just thought it had everything. He's he has this relationship with the uh, what's her name, Kara, in the um and and it, and I use the word relationship because that counts for something more than what we may have seen over the last half dozen Bond movies. This this when I think of you know again Daniel Craig's Bond with Vesper. Um, I'm not sure I ever really had that same relationship feel with with the last few Roger Moore movies. So, so that was, you know, that was a, a real positive. Um, also, good to see um, what's his name? John John Rhys David, um, better known for the uh, Rhys Davies, sorry, um, from the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Gimli and Indiana Jones. Another great theme song, um, Aha, The Living Daylights, absolutely brilliant. It's been. Honestly, it's just been the, the the soundtrack to the house for like the last week. The only things I would say negatively about this are, is the film quality, the visual quality isn't that great, which is interesting because as these movies are getting more modern, there is a horrible digital rendering to 80s and early 90s movies and TV, if memory serves, and and the low resolution. And I'm, I'm actually starting to think, I uh, wonder what a Blu-ray or a 4K set of all these movies might look like. So that's that's starting to go go downhill. But yeah, this is this is really good. I think it's interesting, right? And I think I'm gonna be really intrigued when you get up to uh Goldeneye and, and movies like that because I um I think you're right. Like the I remember the the last time I maybe watched uh what's the one that comes after Goldeneye? Tomorrow Never Dies. Tomorrow Never Dies. And I watching that in more recent years the effects have definitely been a little bit more sketchy and a little bit more questionable. And I think there's a, there's a real hard switch, isn't there, between films that were done in the 70s, 80s. Like, you like you know, let's take A New Hope, for example. You take it for what it is. They do a fantastic job with models and artwork and, and practical effects. But those early days of um, CGI and green screens mm-hmm. are very questionable. Yeah, and I think that that whole period is a bit of a a dark time in cinema technology. But I guess on the flip side, without those attempts, we would have never been where we are today. That's correct. There's got to be some things along the way. I always I always think of the Lawnmower Man, the Pierce Brosnan movie, The Lawnmower Man, which I remember coming out of the cinema thinking it was the greatest special effects of all time, and it's virtually unwatchable now. Um, so yeah, I I, I fully get that. A couple of things I will mention just quickly. The one thing that lets this movie down for me is I don't think we've got a strong M. So Connery and Moore had Bernard Lee. And then, of course, Brosnan and Craig both had Judy Dench. 
but um, Timothy Dalton has has Robert Brown, and I'm not sure he's quite as 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 good. There's there's n- there's no memorable villain here. There's a great henchman. The I don't know if you remember the milkman that goes around f- throwing milk bottles, which are bombs. Absolutely brilliant. But um, probably the the other thing I notice here is the poster, and I feel like this is a point in Bond poster history where I feel the look definitively changes. And if you look at Doctor No all the way through to A View to a Kill, there's something that feels, because you've commented on it nearly every week, there's something classic, something just vintage about the posters, and it just moves into this from here onwards, right the way through, I feel like it's um, not quite the same. But that's not the movie's fault. Um, It's funny you say that because I'm just looking at the poster right now, and there actually is something still quite appealing to me about this poster, but I appreciate what you're saying, that it kind of, changes a little bit from uh previous um versions of the poster yeah it's look you, to be fair it's a there's almost like a it's half still got that vintage look i know i know what you're saying license to kill him was it i think it looks like it definitely isn't but um yeah i um i have to say and i'll, I'll hold back because i'm sure i'll be saying it next week um but timothy dalton deserved way more of a shot at Bond, and I already can't wait to you know get into the License to Kill because that's a movie I hardly know at all. Yeah, I I actually you know I'm looking at the trailer for this now. I don't recall ever seeing The Living Daylight, so I, it feels like one I'm going to have to sort of maybe go back and check out. Yeah, for me, it's it's really great that it's such a good watch because this, ironically, was the first Bond movie that I saw at the cinema. I remember going in at the time having been used to going in just to superman and uh, and star wars and indiana jones and et and sort of thinking what what is what is this why are you taking me to this and really enjoying it you know um i paid a penny for this <laughs> <laughs> it was four and eight thank you very much <laughs> i don't know what that means no, it's outrageous. It, just sounds, it just sounds like old money um <laughs> indeed the the other thing dan um that i've watched uh is Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four, um, and so this came out just over a year Apologies. ago. Apologies, yeah. <laughs> I'm playing catch up here, um, which I feel gives me the okay to not have to worry about spoilers because it was just over a year ago it came out, and it's interesting you say that because I I did I came into this with very low expectations given. Uh, you know, I know. I remember you talking about it when you'd watched it. The reviews I, I've seen at the time, a lot of backlash. But um, I guess for me, a lot of what I saw in this that made me think, yeah, yeah, I understand, is around the story. Um, it's about 20 to 30 minutes too long, um, which, you know, last week you said that about uh, don't look up. And I was like, oh, that's ridiculous. You can't cut that much. You, you could probably cut a good 20 to 30 minutes off of this one for sure. Um there's just a lot of silly things like you and I were talking about Chris Pine last week and he's great, but the whole convoluted story to bring back Steve Rogers, it, it was, it was too much. It didn't work. And then in the end he has to die anyway. Um, like you, I'm a massive fan of um, Pedro Pascal, you know, the, the Mandalorian, his character and the story around him as the main villain, just, it didn't work. So, yeah, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of plot holes, a lot of confusing story elements that were really odd. 
Um, but on the flip side, Dan, again, because I had low expectations, I actually, I loved a lot about this. I love the eighties-ness of it all, the color. Um, it's a great time to set a, a Wonder Woman movie. Um, I mean, Gal Gadot is, is, is brilliant as both Diana Prince and Wonder Woman. Actually, not enough Diana Prince in this movie. That would be another little criticism. Um, I, I've always liked, I think we've talked about this before, the balance of the the Bruce Wayne Batman in a movie. It's one of the reasons why Michael Keaton's my favorite Batman because of the way he play, portrayed Bruce Wayne. And obviously it's a slightly different thing here, but I really enjoy her as Diana Prince that we saw in Wonder Woman, we saw in um, Dawn of Justice. Not enough of that here, but... Um, it's interesting, right? Because I think I'm just trying to really think back to my viewing of this movie. And because like, I've always considered myself a, a Wonder Woman fan. I, I really enjoy the character. I enjoyed components of this film. And I, I think at the beginning of the film, they're sort of showing the, uh, the trials that uh, Wonder Woman or yes. Diana goes through. And I thought that was quite good. Yeah. I think you're right. Like the, the concept of doing the movie in the 80s, awesome. You've got a, you know, we say this all the time, but a, a star-studded cast. You've got Chris Pine, you've got Kristen Wiig, you've got Pedro, Pedro Pascal. But I think as a story, it just never really came together. And even I think Kristen Wiig's character as, as the villain or one of the villains, it just kind of felt being there, done that. And it was... I think this whole movie kind of struggles with what it wants to be. Like, are we kind of a, an 80s fun superhero movie or are we a bit more dark and gritty? And I think yeah. this this goes back to the, the age old. Like, I think DC's always kind of been on catch up with Marvel. And I think because of that, they become a little bit schizophrenic with what they are and what they're offering to the audience. Yeah, and it's easy to, to pick holes when you've got a franchise that's powering along like like Marvel doing so well, it, it sort of stands out even more. It's interesting because the character of Barbara that uh, you just mentioned, uh, that Kristen Wiig was playing, it, it has we have seen it before. I, I will say I thought she was good. She surprised me because I normally associate her with like comedies like Bridesmaids, but I remember she was good uh, in The Martian. And and she was good here again, and there was elements of com- comedy to the role. But yeah, the the character itself, Pedro Pascal's character, um, there was, it was too obvious what was going to happen with his son. It was just all set up there. But great action scenes, great fight scenes. I mean, just like in in Wonder Woman, and you know, love them or hate them, most of the the DC universe movies, uh, there's normally good action fight scenes. But uh, it wasn't enough to sort of hold it together but yeah because i had expected it to be bad i guess that's one of the advantages of you know watching it after the dust has settled it's like how hyped though i was was about the matrix resurrections i've i've seen the reviews i've you know scoring like 5.7 on imdb um yeah it's so for me i enjoyed the experience I don't know that I would revisit it, whereas I would definitely give the original Wonder Woman a, a watch. I thought that was an f- absolutely fantastic movie. But So I'm curious to see if and when they make the third movie, how that goes, what angle they take. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting that Patty Jenkins isn't going to be there. But having you know the original Wonder Woman, Linda Carton, back who, after she cameoed in the, the post-credits in this, I... I think that was such a nice touch. It would be really interesting to see how they go with the third. Mm. Look, it's interesting. Like it's, 
I want this franchise to do well. I want them to uh, succeed and 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 I guess create good stuff. And hopefully, uh, number three is a charm. That's all we can sort of hope for. That's right. Mm. But um, yeah. Other than our shared stuff, Dan, I've actually been doing a lot of reading. One of my news resolutions. Nerd. Yes, I know, right? And it also doesn't help with the podcast, you know, being this nerdy reader. But um, I've actually got one under my belt already. I'm halfway through another, so I may even have a bit of a book review next week. But yeah, that is all I've got from the stuff I've been watching myself. What about you, Dan? It's funny you say that because I've been playing a little bit of um, video games of late. And every time I play, I'm like, I don't have time for this. I need to be watching. I've got to be watching stuff for half me because I need eyes on. And it's like... It kind of turns you away sometimes from the stuff that you used to do just out of pure pure relaxation. But nevertheless, the show must go on. And we, so, we have had a warning as well from our producers about the amount of content. So I think we should keep that in mind, yeah. you know. Okay. Okay. Well, look, I've got two TV shows under my belt, um, which has only really been possible because um, I've, I've been on leave for uh, almost a month, well, a month. And so it's been really easy to watch TV shows. And now I'm back to reality that that may slow down a little bit. The... The first TV show I want to talk to you about is one that actually started last year and I wanted to save it all up till all six episodes were out and that is the new uh, Disney Plus TV show Hawkeye. So this is the, the latest Marvel TV show. I'm going to go into spoilers here so if you want to still watch Hawkeye or your your cautious of spoilers maybe use the, the time codes below to probably jump ahead five minutes. Um, so Hawkeye is... I had a I had a great time. Look, almost kind of like the Wonder Woman review you were just talking about. I'd kind of heard some mixed reviews about Hawkeye. Like, is this good? Is this a bit of a a Christmas movie, like or Christmas series? Like, what's going on? But I'll tell you, Paul, I had a fantastic time. So Hawkeye, um, I think, is another great example of where like Marvel was just this. They're so good with sort of stitching all the story together. Like they introduce um, a new character, Kate Bishop, who basically um, becomes Hawkeye's, I don't know, apprentice, ward, sidekick, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, they, they go right back to when there was the big attack on New York back in, I think, 2012. They sort of show the attack on New York from her perspective, how she kind of fell in love with um, the notion that is Hawkeye learned all about archery, learned all these different sports, all in sort of the the hope to protect yourself, protect your family, and eventually, kind of through a, a series of events, ends up crossing paths with Hawkeye. And Hawkeye is, and I think this is another really, really cool thing that Marvel's done with their story. So Hawkeye doesn't have any uh, superpowers, or super, you know, he doesn't have the super soldier serum. He's there's nothing magical about him. And what we've basically got is we've got Hawkeye at the end of all of the movies. Like he's getting old. Like he's tired. He's got he's got he's got old man aches and he's put ice on his knees and on his on his shoulders and on his on his wrists at the end of the day if he gets in any scuffles and he's kind of at the end of his career. And he kind of comes across uh, Kate Bishop, who he he definitely doesn't want to sort of coach or mentor or encourage at all to get into this lifestyle, but through a series of events that that kind of happens, and I just think they did a a really good job of, you know, these superheroes that that we sort of see. There is life after the big events that happen. There's after the Thanos snap. After you've been in all these big battles, like you you're not just back to back to normal. And I think they've done a, a really awesome job at. I guess humanizing these heroes. 
Amazing. You've Every time you talk about these things, I'm thinking, why am I not amongst this? I'm the most underqualified person that you could possibly be talking to about these series, of course, because I... I don't know the background of of New York. I am fascinated by, I've been wondering what Jeremy Renner's been doing because other than like Arrival and maybe Mission Impossible, I just haven't seen him. Of course, he's been Hawkeye for ages and now in these series as well. Um, I'm curious, Dan, how does this stack up uh, next to to WandaVision and the other one which escapes me now, which I know you... um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Look, I think they're... For me, they all kind of play out at about the same level. Like I've actually enjoyed all of these TV shows. I think this one has has a a good sort of fun element to it, and it's probably more similar to Falcon and the Winter Soldier, whereas uh, WandaVision is, I think, truly something a little bit more unique and different. But I'll tell you another great thing about this. You know how last week I got all hyped up about how Daredevil – Um, was in the Spider-Man movies. So this is set in New York. So guess who we've got in here, Paul? We've got Kingpin. He he's our big bad in the in the last episode of this. So now we've got Kingpin. We've got Daredevil. Like I love the fact that all of this is happening in New York. Like we're literally in the same we're in the same space as Spider-Man, as Doctor Strange, as and Kingpin and we've got Hawkeye rolling around. Not that Hawkeye sort of operates out of New York, but I just love how they're continuing to build this universe. And the other character that they actually bring into this is um, Florence Pugh. Her character comes back, who is Black Widow's sister. And so, again, they're just building to whatever the the next version of the Avengers is, like whether it's the young Avengers or whether it's like this is the the new generation that's coming in. They're just doing such a a wonderful job of all the the lore. And I think there's – there's, there's just so much content now between all of the movies, all of these TV shows, the fact that they just keep pumping them out and the fact mm. that they're pretty high quality. And I think what they've done pretty well to date is, you know, this is a six-episode miniseries. Like, the, it's the perfect amount. Like, it's it's enough to kind of build up these characters, give you a little bit of context, and kind of leave you wanting more without making you sort of too fatigued. And I think – when it comes to the movies for these characters, we're not going to have to sort of muck around with a whole bunch of backstory. Like we've already had it through other means. I love, I love the idea of a six episode mini series for things like this, because you just get more depth. And if you could give me uh, a six episode Batman TV mini series, as opposed to what we're going to get, which is the Batman, which I'm sure will be fantastic, but already I'll be like, Oh, give me, give me that. You know, you just get so much more richness out of it. I am, um, I, yeah, I see another great cast as well. I see Vera Farmiga's in there and Tony Dalton, Lalo Salamanca from Medical Soul. Great supporting cast. Always, I mean, always with Marvel. And I'll tell you, I think the one right decision I, I did make for this is actually saving it up. And I think mm. what we really enjoyed is actually just watching this over two nights. And I don't know if I would have got the same enjoyment over watching this over six weeks, like it might have been a little bit slow, uh, a little bit sort of all over the place for me, but as a two-night binge, fantastic. Well, we learned our lesson with The Walking Dead, World Beyond. Um, We've talked about it with Yellowstone, so I'm beginning to think that often, and it's not necessarily about binging it in one go, like you say, it's just being able to have it all there and do it over what feels right for you, whether it's two nights, three, four, or even a week, whatever it is, but um, directed by Bert and Bertie, um, and 
that's that's fascinating in itself. I um also got Haley Steinfeld from you may remember her from Bumblebee Paul. Yes. So yes, she was great fantastic. in that. Fantastic. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um True Grit. So fantastic actress. Mm. Um and definitely her relationship as well with um, Florence Pugh is just incredible. Like you can already see some great banter type relationships building up the type that we already love in the existing Marvel universe. And the fact that they're already sort of building up these, these arcs between these different characters is, it's just awesome. Nice one. So yeah, that is Hawkeye. You can check that out on Disney plus. Um, highly recommend it if you're a Marvel fan. And even if you're not like, I think these shows are almost fun enough that you could just kind of jump in because they do give you a bit of context around what else has happened in the universe and and they make good use of flashbacks, so it's a good one. The other TV show I've watched, Paul. Now, I came across this by accident. I've watched a TV show on TVNZ On Demand, which is which is unusual for me. It's um, not very often that happens unless I either know, you know, it's something like Walking Dead where it's the only platform it comes on um, or you're sort of recommended me something. But it's a show that kind of caught my eye last year called Heels. And it's a... (laughs) (laughs) I know what this is. My hairdresser told me about it literally this week. And as soon as I heard her talk about it, I was like, I'm going to have to tell Dan about this. So I remember seeing like a real brief trailer for it somewhere and sort of thinking to myself, oh, that looks interesting. And so anyway, the other day, um, so TVNZ On Demand in New Zealand is basically our our free-to-air streaming service. And they had the show and then I'm like, I'm going to give it a go. And I'll tell you what, Paul, two days later, binged. And I absolutely loved it. So Heels. Um, stars Stephen Amell, who you may remember from uh, The Arrow, and it also stars Alexander Ludwig, who uh, you may know as Bjorn Ironside from Vikings. And so what this TV show is about is two brothers and their they're in-the-ring rivals, and so one of them plays a villain, which in the wrestling world is a is a heel, uh, and the other a, a hero or a face. And they basically have a, a war in-ring sort of war over their father's wrestling promotion, vying for national attention in um, small-town Georgia. And so the sort of context of this show is, so their father set up this this wrestling um, federation or wrestling sort of event. All of the town goes, like the town doesn't have a baseball team or a a football team or whatever it may be. And so wrestling is kind of what connects all this, all this, all these people together. And so Stephen Amell is the, is the oldest son and he kind of runs the, runs the wrestling organization. So he writes all the scripts, you know, they go into sort of deciding who's going to win and um, the sort of different story arcs that might happen. But there's a whole bunch of, I guess, drama that kind of happens in and outside of the ring people wanting to be either heroes or wanting to be villains wanting to win the belt um there's uh competitions with other wrestling leagues and i i don't know what it is paul like because this program is a little bit trashy at times and a little bit sort of drama-ish but i absolutely loved it and i cannot wait for season two you've got to have a little bit of trash every now and then right it's it's what makes it what i find fascinating about this is the, obviously, the WWF wrestling and all of that is is a, a oh sorry WE is the entertainment. So we you know about how you say it, it's all set up and but we never see I presume those characters sort of break character. And I guess with this, you're seeing the in ring and behind the scenes and all the what goes on. And I imagine this is as close as to 
what you might get if you were to, if someone were to do a, a, a documentary or even a mockumentary or, or any sorts around what it might be like behind the scenes. Well, it's almost like, you know, you and I run in this podcast, Paul, like we've still got to go to actual jobs yeah, um, and, right. you know, that's where we're actually getting our money. But in the evenings we're doing the podcast and much like in the wrestling world, these people who are wrestlers here put their like their they've literally got their their heart and soul into it, and and they do it for the fun for the crowd reaction, um, and you know they talk a lot of you know they make lots of jokes in this TV show about how you know wrestling's fake and 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 scripted and stuff, but they also sort of go to great points, which I think is is very fair that the outcomes might be scripted, but the actual like in ring athleticism required to sort of mm. bounce around throw people around is very real and i think this this show does a a good job of actually i i guess just you know we talked about this again on the pod like showing another side of of the world or in this case america and just sort of you know sometimes this is all people have got and it's kind of you know and these these guys who who win the belt or become wrestlers like they kind of take their their big arrogant sort of attitude from the sort of small town georgia wrestling federation you know down to their their local um service station when they're like you know buying a coke or something or getting some petrol and they yeah. sort of walk around with chips on their shoulder and it's it's, it's there's something about it, and I can't quite put my finger on it, that just works for me. And I I didn't watch all of Arrow. Um, I'm not sure. Like I wasn't sure, like, was Stephen Amell going to work for me? Could, and But it does. It all just comes together, and it's it, it's a it's a very fun watch. Stephen Amell's a lifelong wrestling fan. He went to WrestleMania 6 in 1990, and he broke his back and the very first episode of this performing a stunt. So I just I just got this vision down, it being like you, this wrestling fan for years, and suddenly scene one, take action, and like really going for gold and breaking your back in the very first episode scene. That's outrageous. I'll tell you that the other character that's that's kind of interesting this is um Alexander Ludwig, um, who who I'm who I know is beyond from um, Vikings and I've always sort of Bjorn as like this big dude like and he always like portrays this big Viking like this because he's, like, he's got um, furs on and armor and stuff but he's actually like he's he's like he's obviously he's he's built and he's muscly and stuff but he's nowhere near as big as I think of him as in Vikings right and so he's actually quite like you know almost kind of small compared to Stephen Animal wow well I, I'm so fascinated that you've already seen this because I was, I had made a mental note to say to you, I reckon this could be one for you, Dan. So I love seeing you on the TVNZ streaming service as well. It's so unheard of. Well, it's, you know, and this is the thing, you know, for those people not in New Zealand, like to watch a show on the TVNZ streaming service, you have to watch with ads. So <laughs> you have to really be committed. So look, this is eight episodes, each episode's, you know, about 15 minutes. Um, look, if you have got any interest in wrestling or I would almost say if you're a Cobra Kai fan, like you might kind of get some enjoyment out of this. I say that with caution though, because it's not, it's not Cobra Kai, but it's kind of got that element of like in and out of ring slash combat, you know, drama and stuff that, that comes with it, but it's nowhere, nowhere near on the, the same sort of bright, colorful ridiculousness, but it is wrestling. So there's, there's a lot of fun to be had. And I, 
I think if this was on Netflix or or net, it would probably get a lot more traction. Like, because mm. I I don't know about you, Paul, but I never really check what's what's coming out on TVNZ on demand, and I would have easily missed this if it wasn't a, a chance viewing. Yeah, no, it's one of those things where I go in there to watch something, like when we go in to watch The Walking Dead, and I'll see it in the in the cards at the start. I think, and I'll add it to favourites quickly. But yeah, otherwise, what exposure do we have to know and what's on those platforms? So uh, yeah, interesting choice that they put it on there because. It's a massive um, fan base worldwide for wrestling. So this, this I think, would get on a lot of people's radars if they only knew about it. Yeah, indeed. So, look, it gets all the guns for me. So if you want to check it out in New Zealand, uh, check it out on TV New Zealand Demand. Or I imagine there's probably a, a stars platform in other places around the world where you'd be able to view it, Hulu or somewhere. But it is good. Um that is all I've been watching. Shall we jump on over to episode four of the book of Boba Fett? Indeed. So we're four episodes in now to this seven episode um, mini series. Uh, this chapter four, the gathering storm, uh, Boba partnering up with Fennec Shand. Um, it's interesting, Dan, because last week you and I said on this podcast, oh, you know, people, yeah, you know, after the the backlash that episode three got, people are probably missing that sort of action Boba Fett, who's who's um who's flying around in his in his ship, and the new Boba on his throne wasn't the thing. Well, in the Gathering Storm, we address that concern right away. There's action. There's the ship. It it's all going on, and we're back to the Salak, which I can't wait to dive into. No pun intended. I think this is a a marked improvement over over episode three and i think you're right i think chapter four is probably far more in line with what people are wanting to see i do wonder whether some of it is too little too late but i think the the good thing about this is i thought we hadn't like for me personally there was there's quite a few great scenes I, i did wonder though and I did feel like I didn't feel like we necessarily had to go back to the Phoenix Shan backstory. Like I felt like I knew enough about it that I didn't necessarily need an episode that was focused around it. But in saying that, it gave us everything that we kind of wanted the show to be. So I probably shouldn't look a gift horse in the mouth. Yes, interesting. One of my highlights was actually the 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 the, the Phoenix Shan. You know, because we went back to the the famous episode of season one where. Mando, uh, not Mando, Fett walks up to her body, and at the time, that was the whole time when we heard the clinking of the of the spurs or whatever it was, and the the rumors started to begin. I, I really liked how they how they showed that relationship, how they'd earned the respect with each other, and how that all came about. Because otherwise, it, I was kind of like, well, why why is she so loyal to him? You know, what what's what's he got that's, that's done that? You know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I know it's not quite like a house of cards, absolute loyalty type situation, but she was very loyal to him. And now, now I understand why. So I really, I I enjoyed that. Um, one thing that's interesting is I'm guessing that we've now had our final uh, back to tank scene, which of course mm-hmm. was the vessel for going into the past. So we're not going to see any more. So now we've got these, we've got three final episodes going forward um, where it feels like um, they're already you know, cue the music, building to uh, a big finish. Yeah, well, I guess there's a few things to unpack in there, isn't there? Because, so one, we've, we've, we've gone back to the, actually I'll go back a bit. So I think you're right. Like, well, I think we have, 
we've caught up to present day, there's no more flashbacks necessarily required, even though they, they could still have them. But they did make a special point of saying, you're fully healed now. Yeah. And that sort of implied that we'll only be sort of looking forward. And so, like, we got the obviously the, the great moment of going back to the Sali pit to look for the armor. We got the great moment of exploring uh, Jabba's palace. Um, we got to see Fennec Shand in, in full action. We got to see um, Black Chrysanthemum join Teen Boba. Um, and I think the other real big thing in this episode is at the at the end when Fennec Shand says basically about, you know, you, you've got to know where to look. Or, or, and then we, we basically hear the, the Mandalorian music uh, in the background. So are, are we getting the Mandalorian in the Book of Boba Fett? Well, to see the ending, of course, has everyone excited, although it is dangerous now because if they don't deliver on the Mandalorian himself, um, that could end up with people being disappointed because when you hear that theme, that is what you think. I mean, could it be someone else from Mandalore? Could it be, I don't know, I'm I'm sure it surely has to be, and it's it's so interesting, eh, to have such a big reaction to to a uh, oh we're going to see the men to have a new character come into a show based on a character we've known since 1980, and all of a sudden in such a short space of time there's this massive excitement about this character coming into this series, even though a few what what are we talking two and a half years ago we'd never even seen the Mandalorian before it's brilliant, and it's going to be interesting right if they do bring in the Mandalorian. Like, is he going to be a bit sad that Grogu's gone off for Jedi training? Yeah. Or, like, are they going to deal with any of that? Or is it going to be the Mandalorian and um, uh, Cosca Reeves and uh, some of those other characters as well? That like, Will they come in as a bit of a squad? Because it sounds like we're kind of building up to a, a big battle and it's a bit of a assemble your team. It's great minds think alike. I was already thinking the same thing. Are they going to address that? Are they going to paint right over it? This isn't his show. Um, why would he necessarily bring that up in a conversation with with Fett and Shan? I don't know. Um, I guess they had that. They were all involved, weren't they, at the end of the Mandalorian? So it's feasible. I'm, I'm really curious to see where that goes. I um, there was there was a lot about this episode, like you say, a marked improvement. I really enjoyed this throughout. Um, like you said, breaking into the palace, seeing the inside in such detail was just. It was just it was just great. All of the guards that were there, I had no idea how many guards. I always felt like, oh, it looked like a you know, once you got that door open, you just had to sort of walk past a couple of spider droids and a couple of those gamma ray guards and you're in. But um the return to the Salic, that's incredible for me. That was the sort of thing that I just never would have thought, you know, thinking back nineteen eighty three, thinking that we'd ever go back. Even just seeing the remains of of Jabba's sail badge. I was going to say that the the sail barge was a nice touch, right? Like it's mm. like, and I was I was thinking, oh my god, I can't believe after all this time, like we can see the the, the waste in a way ship where it's it's just incredible. Dan, I have a question for you. Is are there any are there any items of clothing that you own that you're so attached to that you would consider going back? into a Salic to get them. So if you and I are on Tatooine and I accidentally hit your uh, rocket pack like Han Solo did and you landed up in the in the Salic and then you escape, would you go back in? I would probably go back for my episode 100 Half Mishes t-shirt, which you can uh, find the link for in the show notes below. That is uh, one item I, I may go back for, but I could also just buy a new one from the, the Half Mishes store. But no, I, I think on a on a personal note, I I, I can't think of anything being being that important but on, on the you know i guess when you got to think about the this you know his uh, his best armor kept him alive for presumably several years in the 
in the pit as it slowly as the as it slowly tried to devour him. This is the armor that was passed on to him from his from his father Django Fett. It's got a lot of history with it. Um, linked to that though, like I've got questions about how just you know fire spray or as as we probably know it, Paul Slave one, um, just sitting in uh, Jabba's palace all this time. Um, it it's interesting, isn't it? It, it, it is interesting. Uh, firstly, I loved your answer around the T-shirt. I was thinking you might mention your Air Force Ones or your He-Man battle axe, but um, I am. Um, it is interesting that the ship's been sitting there this this whole time. But I brought it up as a, as a little bit of a joke. But I've been thinking about this, and maybe I'm overthinking this, and maybe or maybe I've missed something. But given that he escapes the Salak with his armor on, we saw that in Episode One. Why is he going? Yeah, because that armor got taken off him by the Jawas. But why did he go back into the Salak to go looking? I mean, I, clearly the writers wanted to take us to the Salak, and I was all for that anyway. But he 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 escaped from the Salak with his armor on, so it, it wouldn't be the first place I'd be diving back into. Um, I, yeah, was he aware that he still had his armor on when he escaped? Like, or was he? I can't quite remember back to that first episode. Mm. Or was he so out of it that right. he just presumes the armor right. was inside the Salak? But even then, like you, the thought of getting it back from a Salak or a crate dragon or anything like that just seems damn near impossible. Like you would have an easier job of probably taking it off another Mandalorian. Just to the right of me here, I've got my 1983 original Return of the Jedi storybook. And this is a book that I read over and over as a kid. And this storybook has got pictures. And one of the pictures is the Salak. And I was always fascinated by that as a kid. And when the ship is hovering back over it, and there's a moment where, I don't know about you, but firstly, I was like, I was like, is the Salak dead? Is it still alive? Is it there? And then when it just suddenly just came out and was actually latched onto the ship, uh, that was, for me, one of the most iconic scenes i think we've seen in in this series i thought it was absolutely fascinating and just so well done mm, it was it was a it was a great scene and a, and a great throwback in i think you've you've got to really and i think like you are you've got to appreciate the fan service in these moments i eh? like you know because you could imagine a lot of people watching that who maybe aren't as and deep to the the history of of Star Wars, and I know there's lots of sort of gatekeeping around, you know, who knows the most about Star Wars, and and but I, but I think these are genuinely well done moments for the fans, and it, it's awesome that they're there. No sign of the uh, motorbike speeders, which was a a good thing. Although we saw the lots of Trandoshans, which you know we had Bosk back in 1980, and now all of a sudden these Trandoshans are everywhere. It's great. I think these Trandoshans are interesting, right? And I think uh, if you've watched um, Rebels or The Clone Wars, you, you, you've obviously got a little bit more history about the Trandoshans, and particularly um, for anyone who, who hasn't, they've got a, a quite a steep history in, in hunting Wookiees, particularly for their, their pelts and their fur. And I was, I'll tell you, Paul, I was impressed that Disney committed to Black Chrysanthemum ripping the arms um, off that guy. Did not think it was going to happen. I was like, there's no way. But again, another great fan service moment. Yep, they really did go to town. That they, <laughs> She was making a real good effort to talk him down. Santi, Black... Black, black Crescent. Thank you. His eyes, the actor's eyes, are so intense within the, 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 the prosthetics and the makeup and the hair. He, he's got so little to work with, but the eyes, fantastic. It's funny, isn't it? Because I think 
Blake Crescenton is a, another character who we're just getting like, you know, a minute of screen time over like a couple of episodes now. And already we love him so much because we know nothing about him. And I think that was Boba Fett, right? And like, right. you know, the last thing we want in 20 years is um, the book of Blake Crescenton because we like it's the mystery and the who are these characters and like not knowing their, and you know, kind of creating your own sort of story or, or past for them is, is kind of the exciting thing. But I thought there was a, another great, um, great moment in this episode. Yeah. Don't explain too much too often. The the force is a, is a, a mystic energy field that binds the universe together. That's all we ever needed to know. So, yeah, look, I'm looking forward to uh, episode five. Um, as you say, there, there's only three episodes to go. Unfortunately, I think we haven't seen the last of the Scooter Gang. I think when you're assembling your your Power Rangers squad, they will be there to, to pad out numbers. Power Rangers, that's exactly what they are. My apologies, not a motorbike gang, Scooter Gang, correct. Also, the chef with the Grievous-type weaponry going on. Amazing. Absolutely fantastic. There, it's just little moments like that, which really don't amount to much, but when you're watching it in the moment, it's uh, it's really, really fascinating. I still think we've got some really big reveals to come in this um, mm. this show as well. And I think we're still in for a couple of shock moments. Well, see, this is the thing. There's all this expectation, as we said earlier, around the Mandalorian showing up in episode five. And I'm wondering who else might show up, maybe alongside. Um, and if not, um, they're going to want to go out on a bang, but also not, I presume, on a on a cliffhanger because this is a self-contained mini series just like the obi-wan series will be and the ahsoka series presumably will be but of course they are linked in with the mandalorian timeline so they do have a bit of leeway there well i think that's the thing right like so do they want to end the book of boba fett with this is kind of the end of our journey for these characters or are they are they going to end it in a way that they can easily dovetail into season three of the mandalorian and i think they've got things to consider and options there to explore can't wait, can't wait. We'll find out. And um, episode five will be reviewed next week. Book of Boba Fett on Disney+. Plus. All right, shall we jump on over to our movie of the week? So each week, Paul and I take turns choosing the different movie of the week. Uh, if you'd like to watch that movie before we talk about it, you should come and join our Discord channel. This week, we are reviewing the 2021 movie, The Unforgivable, on Netflix. So this is a Sandra Bullock movie about a woman who's released from prison after serving a sentence for a violent crime and re-enters a society that refuses to forgive her past. Then I love it how sometimes we have a movie of the week and then that can inspire like a peak performance like it did recently with Benedict Cumberbatch and many other before. And here we have a peak performance we did for Sandra Bullock recently and that's kind of inspired a movie of the week choice and... What is even more incredible for me, Dan, I'm just going to come right out the gate and say it, is this now goes in as my number one peak performance for Sandra Bullock. Ahead of The Blind Side, I thought this was a, a brilliant movie. I actually think this is the best movie we've reviewed all year. I know we've only done three this year, but but more than that, it was just an exceptional performance from Sandra Bullock, absolutely at the top of her game. Well, I think this was a a, a good movie. Um, I think th I think I'm with you that I think this is a this is a really awesome performance from Sandra Bullock. I think she does a a fantastic job um, playing this very sort of beaten down character. 
I think that this is a, a great movie for as far as Netflix movies go because I think sometimes they can be a mm-hmm. little bit hit and miss. I, I, I'm trying to tell myself not to say it because I feel like I say it all the time. I feel like this movie would have been better as a six part <laughs> thing because and and the reason I say I that like is that. so. I guess before before we go too deep, we should just sort of give a little bit of context about what this movie is actually about. So, it's Sandra Bullock plays a, a woman who's been released from prison after serving a sentence for a violent crime, and re-enter society that refuses to forgive her for her past. And and we we don't find out for a while in, into this movie about what that crime was and why. Like and it's hard to feel as a as an audience member and you you kind of on the edge of your seat because you're like I kind of feel sorry for her but what was the crime and what and you know that all kind of plays out over the movie but I think where this movie unfortunately drops the ball and I I think this is really unfortunate because as I say I think Sandra Bullock absolutely smashed this role star studded cast but I think there's lots of kind of like loose ends or underused sort of character moments with some of the wider cast in this, which would have been good to kind of explore, which I don't think you have time to do in a, a two-hour movie on Netflix, but you could have done in a in a six-part series. Oh, look, I thoroughly agree with you in terms of give me a six-part here. This is screaming at for a six-part here. It would be absolutely perfect because the, the character of the daughter exploring that um Blake's history, um, you know, what was his crime? What did he do? The 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 foster parents, and um, there's there's so much that could be, you know, gone into, or at least give this movie an extra half an hour. You know, Wonder Woman was two and a half hours. This is an hour fifty two. Switch those two around straight away. That give give us an extra thirty five minutes. Don't look up; it's already six hours long. So, like, you know, <laughs> yes. give give a couple of hours from that movie into this movie, and it all it all starts to balance out. But, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, there, there is. I feel almost kind of like in a Mayor of Easttown type way. Yes. I, I wanted yes. to know more about this community, about these people she's interacted with, why people gave her a chance, why people wouldn't give her a chance, why, as you say, why why Frank, what was his deal? And just sort of understanding how they all interconnected felt so important, but it never played out for me in the movie, which was a shame because I, though I, I, I think I thoroughly sort of – enjoyed it apart from sort of as a dark subject matter but i thought you know great performances i wanted more and i wanted more closure and exploring of some of these characters i could not agree with you more mayor of east town is a really good analogy to make because that's exactly what i think we might have ended up with had we had we gone there but given that it was an hour 52 in terms of what they did within that time i thought everything was right there i think it was just so intense it was so saddening it was it was hard not to to, to to empathize with with Sandra Bullock's character, um, but also to see the reaction that she was getting, like at the at the fish workplace from people, given the history of what people had thought she had done. And I'm, I'm going to have to talk spoilers here, so anyone who wants to watch, do possibly press stop. But um, it's you know the, when you think about the the role that the state plays in in terms of the child well-being, they had to do what they did, but it's it's so hard the facts the hearsay what actually did happen um the result of her going away her coming back what does that do to the family to the foster parents to the child it's so complex and i just i just found it a very powerful powerful story it, it really had me grip for you know 
a lot more than I perhaps anticipated going into it. And I just couldn't agree with you more though. There's so many other little stories that I'd love to know more about. And some of the the supporting cast who we can talk about, I thought there were some stories there, as you said, that would just be brilliant to to really add depth to this. I think, you know, I just we can't emphasize enough, I think, the weight that Sandra Bullock's character, I think, carries in this movie because, you know, so Ruth Slater is her character and so she's she's so hard in this movie and you can like I don't I don't know what sort of like deep sort of method acting this was but I just thought she did such a good job of being you know so insular and kind of protecting herself Mm. from the world and just trying to you know move ahead but society's constantly sort of pushing her down and I think you know there's interesting stuff in there as well around you know, when someone goes to jail for a crime, when they've completed that prison sentence, like in theory, regard like, you know, I know there's exceptions to all of this. In theory, like you've repaid the debt to society that society has agreed as the yeah. as 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 the time for the punishment. And yet none of the like, you know, and this is this is the this is the world that we actually live in, just, you know, once that sentence complete, that's that's just the first part. Like yeah. you're not accepted back in society. You are sort of like pushed down to these um, jobs. Like you you are put in situations where you're not going to succeed. And this isn't any like this is a worldwide problem. But just interesting. It's such an interesting character to kind of like learn more about, and particularly as she kind of you know takes on a few different sort of career paths and tries to manage her anger. And she isn't necessarily a bad person, but she's done bad things. And like, there's so much complexity in all of that. Yeah. Oh no, you're absolutely right. And with the nature of the crime that she was accused of, of having committed, that that definitely sticks with you, and you you take that everywhere you go. It's um. It's interesting as well. I've got a couple of things that I managed to look at just while you're talking. I can multitask, see. This was actually based on a British three-part miniseries called Unforgiven um, from 2009, which uh, stars Suzanne Jones and Doctor Who himself, Peter Davison, uh, which I haven't, I haven't seen this, but I'd now be really keen to go check it out. They've obviously gone from uh, a miniseries into to a movie. Um what was the second thing I was going to say? Oh, the second thing I saw was the the producer actually wanted Angelina Jolie to play the lead. Um, and I'm sure she would have done a great job too. And I feel like I've seen this kind of performance from her um, before from Angelina Jolie, but I haven't seen it from Sandra Bullock. So I really appreciated the chance to see it here from her in this. The support cast that you and I have sort of referenced a couple of times, um, Johnny Bernthal was was just great. He's got this, I've said it before, he's got a real Robert De Niro 80s vibe going on. I feel like he's got a, he's an actor coming in his prime. He never disappoints. Viola Davis, small part in this, could have been explored more in a miniseries. She has such an intense, uh, full lot. she's such a great voice. She's, she was good in her scenes. And uh, Vincent Don of Thrio, who will always be um, Wilson Fisk, uh, from Daredevil, virtually unrecognisable. Indeed, indeed. And so, look, you know, it's funny that we here he was in Hawkeye, now he's he's back over here in uh, uh, The Unforgivable, so small world. And I have to shout out Richard Thomas because 
This oh, is yeah. a guy who I have loved since I first saw him in Battle Beyond the Stars in 1980. I also saw him in The Fall. He he was good in this. And of course, I don't know how you pronounce it. I think it's an Irish name. I Ailing Ailing Franchiosi, um, who played the the daughter. We we saw her in that movie we reviewed, The Nightingale, the Australian movie, mm. um, and she was in The Fall. Just so much here. All of those characters, all those actors that we just talked about, great. If you, I, I can't agree with you more, Dan. If you'd given them an extra few hours, this would have become, I think, a Mayor of Eastern type quality. I think we've got to give a shout out to, I don't know if you've got IMDb open right now, Paul, mm-hmm. but Richard Thomas's photo on IMDb, like he's so, he's so young. It reminds me of one of our listeners, Fat Muffins, who has the world's youngest uh, LinkedIn photo. And, you know, time has moved on. And I think, you know, you've got to keep your profile photos current or they really stand out. That is correct. That is a picture of him from the Waltons from 1976. So that was even before... He was in Battle Beyond the Stars, um, where he was, you know, famously opposite Sador. Um, this is, yeah, this is one for me. I would 100 percent recommend. But uh, if you're looking for a for me for a different type of performance out of Sandra Bullock, this, as I said, this is top notch. Yeah, it's almost a tough one to review for me because uh, good movie, good Netflix movie, fantastic acting. Um, but I it drops a little bit for those reasons that we've already talked about. So it's kind of like a – I feel like I want to say two and a half to three stars or three guns for me. No stars on this podcast. Thank you, Dan. I will go three and a half guns on this one. Oh, three and a half. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to go three guns then. Three guns, all right. Yep, yep. That's fair. But um, no, another um, good movie of the week. So yeah, make sure you come and join our Discord channel. Then you can watch these movies um, before we start talking about them. And then you can join in, in the conversation in your car or you can write into us and tell us whether you agree or disagree. Shall we jump on over to the news desk, Mr. Kanawa? Yes, please. What is going on at the newsroom today, Dan? All right, so first of all, um, this isn't really news, but it's it's news to us, so therefore it makes it to the news desk. Did you know that you can now, there's a five-star star rating on Spotify. So, you know, what would really help us if you're a listener of this podcast? If you're listening to it on Apple, iTunes, then leave us a review. If you're listening to it on Spotify, go in and give us a, a star rating. It helps us get um, found by new listeners and just sort of it, it really helps us out. So if you could give us a, a rating on Spotify, that would be amazing. It looks like that feature just came out before Christmas. So we're, we're you know, we're it's January. We're not, we're not too far off the mark on this one. That's not bad at all. It's great because it's only ever been a place on Apple that you can really rate podcasts. So for anyone who's using Spotify, this is a great Indeed. chance. Indeed. Um, the next bit of news I want to talk about is it's actually gaming related, but it's gaming slash movie related. And that is that we finally have a release date for Lego Star Wars, the, the, the Skywalker saga. Now, this is a... You know, both, you know, you and I, Paul, are both big fans of A, Star Wars and B, Lego. And then if you combine those in together, um, Lego, Star Wars games, amazing. And this game has been, I feel like, on pre-order for a lot of people for almost two years. I think you might have even had it on order for your son for just as long. I did. I did indeed. And when I posted this in the Discord news channel, I was like, is this going to be another one of those ones where you post it and then it changes again? Because it's happened so many times, right? It's coming. It's coming on the fifth uh, of April, Fantastic. which is uh, very exciting. So I imagine we'll both be getting involved in that. 
Uh, this next bit of news might be of interest to you, Paul. So uh, I know you're a fan of toys and collectibles. Mm-hmm. So Star Trek fans are in for another blast of nostalgia. Um, so Playmates Toys has reacquired the Trek license after a 12-year hiatus, and they've got plenty of new works in spanning multiple eras with the first wave uh, of the figures from Star Trek Next Generation. Yeah, I, I have seen this. I've seen the ones from... The Star Trek Two, The Wrath of Khan, as well. They look really good. This is high risk, red alert, danger situation for me because I remember in 2015, 2014 ish, buying a. F- I said I'll just buy a couple, just buy a couple, Paul, from The Force Awakens, and I ended up with eighty seven. That's more than a couple. Yeah, so I need to be careful here. Well, you're you're a big Star Trek fan. I don't know if you can let this pass. So, um, look, start working on your business case now. Uh, a couple of other quick things. So uh, last week we mentioned that uh, Spider-Man No Way Home was toppled from the box office. Well, it's back again this week. Um, so Scream was the movie that uh, toppled that. So uh, so Spider-Man is still doing very well. Uh, Knives Out 2 is set to be released on Netflix later this year, which is exciting for, um, I guess, Ryan Johnson slash Daniel Craig slash, you know, um, great movies from the Netflix fans. Uh, last week I also talked about how Black, Pan- Black Panther 2 had finally resumed uh, production. Well, it stopped again, Paul. There's been a COVID outbreak on the set. So after sort of a few months off, while everyone recovers from injuries, there's a, a COVID outbreak, which is unfortunate. Uh, two final bits. So Netflix has confirmed that Squid Games Season 2 um, is coming and that the Squid Game universe has only just begun, which I think is interesting and we'll you know interesting to see where that series goes and final bit of news uh is about the batman and it's going to be the longest dark knight movie so far coming in at nearly three hours and apparently there was a test screening um at four hours long and has already started a bit of a hashtag release the reeves cut so i think it's a bit soon for that but i think Look, I'm interested in a, a three-hour Dark Knight movie. I'm I'm very excited for this. I, I've been avoiding um, most content and trailers around this because I, I want it fresh. When you and I sat down and watched the Zack Snyder Justice League cut for four hours plus, I, I, I thought that was such a great experience. But if you don't want to do that and you've got four hours of footage, let's go Harry Potter style. Let's let's break this into two. Let's Let's have two movies. No, because then they'll make us wait for a year. I mean, it's, I, I want the whole story in, in one hit. So, yeah, that's me, Paul. Anything on the news desk at your end? Uh, let's have a look. A um, couple of things you'd already covered off. I see Billions is back, Dan. Um, uh, a show that I know you are a big fan of. That's um, back. Uh, the latest season is, is now streaming. Um, the... What else did I have here? So I just scrolled up too far. We've got Mary Elizabeth Winstead uh, is going to be joining Rosario Dawson in Ahsoka. Um, great actress um, who we've enjoyed a few things from Fargo to uh, Death Proof um, to the, I forget the name of the Cloverfield uh, Cloverfield Lane. Um, but even more fascinating, of course, she's married to Ewan McGregor in real life. So that's a real family affair now there. Um what else did I have? I thought I had one more piece of news then and I've... Oh, that's it. Righteous Gemstones. Uh, we talked about it last week. Season two is now out. It's now been renewed for a third season. So another one of those shows to look forward to. That's 
all I have this week, Dan, other than the Star Trek news, which um, is troublesome for me. I will shift desks to the mailbag. Um, So Ricky Gervais liked our Afterlife Season 3 review, um, which triggered a fair bit of traffic on our Twitter. Um, We also had the entire family of Lenny, June and their son James. So that's Tony Way, Joe Hartley and Ethan Lawrence all share our review as well. As did um, Michelle Greenwich who plays the receptionist Valerie. Um, we had a similar experience last time we reviewed Afterlife so it's, it was awesome to have that again. Um, Tom O'Connor who wrote and directed last week's movie of the week, The Courier, he shared our review on Twitter as well. We had Bosch actress Amy Aquino aka LT aka Lieutenant Billets, shared our top 10 review of Bosch on Instagram. Brad McMullen, uh, who plays Cullen in Mr. Inbetween, shared our top 10 review of Mr. Inbetween. And then the creator of Dope Sick, uh, Danny Strong, who you may know, Dan, as Todd Krakow in Billions. Um, he, he's the creator of Dope Sick. He shared our Dope Sick post on Twitter as well. But probably the most commented thing that we reviewed, Dan, uh, was actually well you reviewed was um hello high water um yeah, paddy he he loved your review he's a big fan of ben foster he feels like he should have got an oscar nomination for that performance in that movie great example of a modern setting where uh, a, a modern western setting you know like a modern day western film so he loved that he also added a quick note in about cobra kai's thinking that robbie Keane or hawk would have made a great danny rand if they were casting for iron fist right now um Sador also commented on how good Ben Foster is. Uh, Nat from Wellington loved uh, Hello High Water, as too did Geek Girl Review in Australia. A lot of positive feedback coming through on that one, Dan. So you've, you've really convinced me to watch this now, along with all of these fine people here. Last week's peak performance, Benedict Cumberbatch. Sarah from Porirua went, like you, Dan, with Doctor Strange. Paddy from Time Traveling Tim gave us the 3-2-1 of... The Hobbit, Desolation of Smog, The Imitation Game, and Infinity War. And Michael from North Carolina, USA, went with Sherlock for his top three places and fourth place for everything else. So quite extraordinary, Dan, having a 4-3-2-1. That's, that's surely against all the rules. You know, the rules are there to be broken, and when you come in guns akimbo, you can do whatever you like. That's it. And that is our mailbag this week. Awesome. Shall we jump on over to our peak performance for this week? Yep. So much like the movie of the week, each week Dan and I take it in turns to choose someone, actor, actress, producer, director, look back on their careers and try to work out what we think is their best performance. Who have we gone for this week, Dan? I was really hoping you were going to say it because I thought you did such a beautiful pronunciation of her last name. I was like, come on, please say it, Paul. Vera Do it for me. Amiga. Well, you helped me out with Black Stanson. Whatever. So, so. <laughs> Kroninsky. <laughs> what is it with these names? Yes. Um, Vera, uh, Vera Famiga, um, who, um, who was your choice this week? And I'm wondering, was it because you were watching her in, in Hawker that she came to mind? So I'll, I'll let you go first. Yeah, it was. I don't know why I'm Farmiga. That's very easy to say. I don't know why it's something more complicated in my mind. But yeah, it was actually seeing her in Hawkeye. And I was like, gosh, she's she's just fantastic. And I would 
just thought I'd love to sort of have a bit of a, a deep dive into her back catalogue of uh, movies. So for my um, honourable mention, I'm actually going to go with the 2013 movie, The Conjuring. So um, I have a weird relationship with uh, horror movies where I both like them and I'm fascinated by them, but I'm also very scared. And I think The Conjuring is one of those, you know, like much hyped ones where I had to watch it during the day to sort of get through it. But <laughs> I just think, um, like, not only is this a, a fantastic movie, but I think, in fact, it's almost hard to separate, I think, um, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga's roles because I think they're, they're both just such standout actors in this movie and the the way they're sort of, cool calm cucumbers about dealing with the sort of um paranormal activity is is absolutely incredible and i think that there's something really special about vera's i think the way she talks is very calming and very reassuring and i think i would be up for her giving me any bad news and i think it would it would probably be okay but for my actual peak performance i can't go past the 2013 tv series bates motel this is such a fantastic TV show, and I sort of watched this, it, it ran from 2013 to 2017, watching it kind of over the those sort of five years, and watching the, I think, five seasons of it, and watching her as, uh, watching Vera as uh, Norma, Norma Bates, just absolutely amazing, and I think she does such a great job of... Um, you know, playing off her 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 son Norman Bates, played by uh, Freddie Highmore, and I just think she like she's such a, a wonderfully talented actress who we we often see her in these sort of quite similar roles, and she the motherly role that she played in Bates Motel is actually not dissimilar to the role that she played in in Hawkeye, and but I think she, she just does a wonderful job. She's she's a fantastic actress. So for me, The Conjuring and Bates Motel for number one. Very good, great choices, Dan. I uh, I do hate to disappoint that we may have some similarities, but here we go. Although I have to say, much like our peak performance for Ray Liotta a few weeks ago, my choices come with the caveat that I have not yet seen the Many Saints of Newark. Um, so that's a good shout because I, when I was looking at that, I was like, oh, I almost want to just say the Many Saints, Many Saints of Newark, because it's I know it's going to be good and I know that she's going to be fantastic in it. Yep. So. It was tough. You can already tell she's going to have a great voice to come into that. Into that for sure. For just absolutely going to completely rock it as Livia. Um, my honourable mention, Dan, is the same as you. 2013, The Conjuring as Lorraine Warren. And this was a movie which I I think I've said many times, it's not something I'd necessarily go for, but it really impressed me. And I mentioned at the time that I was going to go and watch the sequels, but they're still not streaming here. So we've got The, the, the Conjuring 2, uh, we've got The the Nun, um, we've got Annabelle Comes Home. There's a, the, there's The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. There's, there's so much there. And I feel like, like you said, with you know her and Patrick Wilson, just a great on-screen relationship. I would love to see them go through all those things because that movie did work on me in terms of that genre being able to be something I could really enjoy. So as soon as I can see those movies, I I certainly will. But yeah, a real good calming presence, as you said. Um, so it's no surprise to me that they did go on and do these sequels. So same as you there, Dan, but my peak performance does differ. I have gone with 2006's The Departed. Um, and for me, 
I think she's fantastic in this. She plays a really uh, intricate role, like a, a such a pivotal character opposite um, sort of the, the way she's playing off, well, not playing off, but sort of doesn't, doesn't even really know who Leonardo DiCaprio's character is and who Matt Damon's character are for much of the movie. And I thought her therapy sessions she did with DiCaprio as the undercover cop, I thought... I thought she was just really, really strong in all of those scenes. And I don't want to sound um, condescending because I'm conscious it was essentially an all-male cast. But to be alongside those two and Jack Nicholson, Alec Baldwin, Martin Sheen, uh, Matt Wahlberg, Ray Winstone in a Martin Scorsese movie and to be still so memorable because I thought she was standout. And so despite that cast, when I think of this movie, her character is always a prominent memory for me and, and why I think it's such a good story and a good film. I thought she was absolutely exceptional in this. So that is my peak performance. Very good. Great choices, Paul. I nearly put The Departed in there, but I I couldn't do it over my other two. So that probably just about brings us to the end of another episode of Half Measures podcast. Does indeed. Thank you once again for listening in this week. Get in touch with us if you've got any suggestions, anything you'd like us to review on, or anything you disagree with us about, either halfmeasurespodcast.com or any of our social media. Also, don't forget to leave us a review either on uh, Apple iTunes or give us a, a star rating on Spotify. That would be hugely appreciated. Uh, I'd also like to give a special shout out to our Patreon producers. Uh, we've got Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa, and Linda Tavner. We appreciate all of your support and everything you do for us. If you too would like to become a patron of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.